Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening and I'm John Hindorf live from Thrapston. Very dark, very cold, early winter's evening. I think it is an early winter's evening now. I think we can call it winter now. It feels like winter. A, a special programme tonight. Uh, we've got no Tim Gray. So amazingly, I'm doing all of this by remote control. Uh, Tim has uh, set everything up, talked me through it and it seems to be working at the moment. Uh, hello to everyone around the world who's listening, uh, particularly to Zach Evans, uh, who is tuned in uh, for the uh, the evening. Uh, first time in a long time, says Zach. In fact, he's changed his Twitter handle uh, since then. Hello to Carol Brink uh, on the left-hand coast of America. There's Laura Donaghy. Hello, Laura. Listening for the first time in ages. Bucket of tea. Trying to fed off the dreaded, dreaded lurgy of echinacea, I think, uh, is a good thing to try as well. Uh, Sir Phil, this said, uh, I'm listening live having just woken up from the snooze fest from Abu Dhabi that sent me into such a deep sleep. Evening chaps and chapesses, says Alexander Orkin. No AFAs tonight. Looking forward to midweek motorsport, a rather good chicken dinner and a glass or two of Pinot Grigier on a school night as well. Uh, hello to Lounsey's car. Apologies for absence. I've been causing a bit of controversy by driving myself into a wall deliberately. Or something, they say. Yes. And we need to get Creelsey on to talk uh, about that, don't we? Definitely in the uh, the next couple of weeks or so and round off the season. Uh, who else have we got tonight? Paul Morgan saying time to relax with a nice cup and listen to a midweek motorsport. Andy Blackmore, ready and listening. Hmm, Andy, might need you tonight. Get your, get your Skype fired up because I'm not sure if you've got a mic on it, but um, if you have, might need you tonight for one of our stories. Uh, who else have we got tonight? Uh, Shea Adam uh, is listening in as well. Uh, so we've got a slightly different show tonight, as I said, because of no Tim Gray. Uh, this evening but what we do still have is all the latest motorsport news and a bit of gossip as well all the latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport and our first story tonight comes from the world of Formula 1 so we bring in from the excitement of his uh, special place in the middle of the motorsport triangle at 
at Milton Keynes, none other than our very own uh, Nick Dearman. Nick, how are you this evening? I'm very good, John. Hello to John. Hello to uh, everybody else. Hello to Tim not being here. And obviously, from about 40 seconds ago, hooray! Yes, sorry about that. Working about 77 different computers all at the same time. Am I all right to you now? Is it better than yeah, you, cl- was? you cleaned up nicely. Thank yes. you. I, I do do that. <laughs> that's, that's your voice, not your brain. Yeah, well, <laughs> one tries. Um, uh, the big story this week comes comes from uh, uh, Formula One. And uh, it, it's... It could be all about um, it could be all about Robert Kubica. It could all be all about uh, the uh, it could be all about the testing, but it's all about a change of logo. I've never th- I never thought there'd be that much controversy. I'm very surprised you've gone with that first. Oh, you have to. We have to get it out of the way first. Oh, um, do you know what? It's really, really interesting because about a week ago or, or 10 day go, days ago, um, uh, a, a quite good little uh, Twitter uh, handle, um, F1 Bro- the F1 Broadcasting guys, who he, he does a lot about the, the ratings and he uh, snaffles around in the inner workings of uh, broadcast and uh, within 4 and 1. I don't know whether he himself, they found that the, the, the F1 group had, had registered three new logos with the EU. And that obviously gave a lie to the fact they were going to be changing their iconic logo. Um, and I turned around and thought, well, it's not really that iconic. Um, it's just one they've had for a while. So they had the one they had for the while, which is the F with the one with the kind of the strakes on it. And um, obviously at the end of the Grand Prix, we had this massive reveal with a kind of all kind of scratchy, changey video, the sort of thing everyone used to do 10 years ago. Um, and... Uh, we had this fantastic new F1 logo, which was red and white and had some less blank space. Apparently works better with the on the Internet. And do you know what? I think I don't know whether I'm in the minority of one or I'm the silent majority. Couldn't care less. Well, don't well, care. Let's see. If, bother me. Let's see if by the magic of radio and by a bit of scrambling uh, around, we can see it. Uh, good evening to Andy Blackmore. Uh, let's see if... Uh, right, well, that's uh, one reason why couldn't hear that. Andy, can you hear us? No, he can't, clearly. Uh, let's see if we can get him on... Uh, uh, we'll get him up in a second. Uh, uh, th- there was some talk of, Nick, of... Um, of the reason it had to having to be changed, because... Bernie Eccleston uh, had um, owned the ship of the... I, I must admit, I think changing, regardless of whether you like it or not, I think changing the logo was was a very wise thing to do. You know, you okay. need, they are symbolising their, their, the move to the new era, away from the Bernie, into the into the liberty, into embracing the digital age. You don't embrace, and that's what the major thing they need to do, apart from, the major thing they need to do outside sorting out the rules and placating the teams, <laughs> that's easy, uh, is to embrace the digital age. And, you know, a new logo is a good idea. So I I, I just couldn't work out why everyone was so bothered well, about well, it. Well, let's, let's, let's take an expert view, because Andy Blackmore is on the line uh, now uh, from... Um, uh, where Andy Blackmore is. Where are you, Andy, in the world this evening? Uh, Vancouver. Right, OK, well, that's wet, good. Wet and rainy Vancouver. Uh, very cold, but dry here in the Midlands. Right, we uh, blithely refer to you 
uh, as our uh, livery logo and design guru and genius. Um, t- tell me why the first of all, tell me why the old logo, the F1 logo, the F and the one, uh, was so good. Um, well, I missed about a minute of Nick talking. No, d- no, don't worry. He didn't say anything important. So, it's only Nick. Uh, <laughs> um, but I did catch that he was saying it wasn't iconic. So the F1 logo in design, in like in the design world, in the creative world, is very iconic because it's clever use of negative space with the one. Um, so but, that's and, and this for people who don't understand what we're talking about here. This is how they use something that isn't there to basically put the one in in the blank that's what we're talking about when you talk about negative space correct so another good example of that would be fedex if you look at the fedex logo and you actually look at the between the e and the x there's an arrow inside there so you know and argos um not argos amazon has a smiley face stuff like that so there's you know so it's become iconic and in some design thing a few years ago it was in the top 50 of the most recognized logo so it, over time it has become iconic and it's like liveries everybody wants an iconic livery now but that doesn't that doesn't happen overnight that happens over a period of time basically not meddling with it now nick's other point is that effectively there's a big sign over formula one saying under new management they are looking to do far more with digital communications which the old guard uh, and the old management didn't want so in in point of fact not a bad idea andy to change the logo changing a logo can uh, can absolutely underline a change of direction for an organization totally totally and that's obviously part of the messaging that's coming across um one of the challenges with the old logo which they have commented is that the point at the end of the uh, points on the far right hand side it's hard to embroider it's also hard um on tv um because it pixelates or it, it sort of breaks up um and it's also hard with sort of social media handles stuff like that however the new f1 logo has a very thin gap between the two parts of the f yeah and if you look at that on twitter and you look at that on instagram particularly if it's on your phone that breaks up as well so it then looks from a distance like a letter N. Yes. Or maybe R1. Yeah. Like some uh, So yeah. we just need to stick an S in there, and and then you know we can have them for passing off. I, I mean, th- I understand the thinking behind it because actually our swoosh on Radio Show Limited and uh, RadioLamont.com and everything that we do, it's that that is what is called in the trade a dynamic swoosh. Nike most famously have one uh, network rail here in the uk we have one it's a dynamic swoosh is it yep. dynamic and swooshy enough is my question um the f1 the new f1 logo yes um yes and no if you make it any more dynamic so you put any more of a sweep on it and make it more italicized it will become even harder to read right um but there's small things that could be done, like, um, so there's a guy I know who used to work for IndyCar, now works for Haas, he's a creative director at Haas do, uh, doing all their stuff. And he just, uh, a guy called Ryan Long, he just put on Twitter a, uh, a tweak he did. Um, and it just, I'll tweet it out later. And um, just a small change makes it a lot more readable. 
Right, and 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 so what would what would you do to it? Because the uh, the other thing that I hear people saying a lot, it looks like an end. She Adam said that straight away. Yeah. I I tweeted the knights that say ni because I can see n and i there if I look I look carefully. Um, yep. the, uh, it also some people say it looks like a, a road turning right into a brick wall, which I, I giggled at a little bit. What if if you'd been on the consultation team, and I'm sure somebody spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of money coming up with that oh, yeah. And, I'm, yeah. and i'm sure that wasn't the only iteration what would you do to make that better is first of all is the concept right i, I think we're saying the concept's probably all right it's just it hasn't quite been executed correctly so what would you do to make it better well i think it's been executed reasonably well you know i think actually it, it probably ticks what they wanted the problem uh from and formula one have is that the original logo was so iconic mm. and well known so that's like Gap when they tried to change their logo years ago, and that lasted about a week. And with the outcry when Pepsi changed their logo decades ago, and, and you know, even when the BBC changed their logo, and of course now everybody's used to the simple, yeah, BBC squares. The losses, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think in a lot of ways it does tick what they want to do, and so you can't pick a fault there. It's just you're trying to replace something that was so good. Mm. I put, and I'm sure this was their starting point. I would have taken the existing logo and tried to develop that, right? So that it becomes, so it develops much in the way that we did the current Radio Le Mans logo and Radio Show Limited logo, which was a development of the design we did a few years ago, which in itself was a development of the original design. Yeah. Uh, if you look at, you sorry, look at Chevrolet, or you look at Ford, you look at pretty much any car manufacturer, you know, whether it's Volkswagen or Seat or Alpha. Well, maybe not Alpha because they don't change, but it's a progression. So doing a completely new brake is quite a challenge. Well, even even somebody like Porsche or down through the years, I'm Peugeot, they've just mm. tweaked the shape of the animals on it. They've changed the typeface slightly or they've changed colours uh, on the typeface. And, you know, it just brought it up to date. Uh, just a final thing before we leave this, because a, a lot of people, including Right Turn Lover, why is everybody bothered about the new logo? Because even though I'm not as graph geeky on negative space as Andy, I just think it's rubbish <laughs> and the old one is just better. Uh, uh, you know, that that's a, a, a reasonable value judgment, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, you talked about the the requirements of digital media. That is something that probably wouldn't have been thought about in the days when the original F1 and quite a lot of older logos that have been around for a decade or more were thought about. So, I mean, that is something that must have been thought about with the new one. And yet to fail at that first hurdle is actually a bit unforgivable, isn't it? Um, I think just a simple tweak and increase in the gap between the two parts of the F would help a lot. Okay. Um, I think maybe um, putting a 45-degree angle on the top of the one would help, and that would help the clarity. Ah, um, yeah. Small things like that is really small. It, it, you know, and obviously the designers have probably already gone through that and decided, no, that goes away too far from the messaging. Mm. So this one have been something that's designed overnight, and certainly on um, some of the Formula One media, they've shown loads of examples of what they did and stuff. So I wouldn't say it's a failure. I just saying it's so damn hard to improve on what they had originally. Yeah. Um, that's where the challenge is. Um, in terms of di the sort of digital world, got to remember back in there, whenever it came out in the, 
was it the 90s or mid 90s i can't remember you know nobody had hd tvs then nobody had 4k ah, good point and i can remember years ago when i worked at ea on the formula one games for a short time we had huge problems getting the clarity just on the names um for all the fia sort of ident for the driver names and the and the um you know the resort tables and stuff yeah so that problem's always, always in there. There is a fashion which you will see in lots of logos for simplicity, get rid of gradients, get rid of drop shadows, make it very simple and clear for that whole social media and digital thing. And it's very much a fashion. You go back 10 years, it was all about Chrome logos. It was all about having subtle shadows and subtle reflections. Yeah. So it's fashion. I have noticed as well, though, Andy, interesting you should should bring up that point is it looks to me from the promotional videos that they're changing the font, the actual way the letters uh, uh, are shown in terms of the, the logo, the typeface, if you will. Yes. Um, yeah. It looks like they're changing that and making that a little more rounded, bringing that up to date as well. Now, that's all very well, and it looks lovely in the flashy video. How's that going to look on the screen? I think they will have done hours and hours of testing on that, and um, the because it's their it's their own font that they've created. I think that will work well because okay. it's a it's a reasonable thickness, and they've got if I remember rightly, they have three line weights. So I don't think that'll be a problem. Hmm. There has been some discussion about some of the stylization of the letters, like the A and formula, and how the S is the capital S is done. Um, but no, I think that works well. And, um, but to answer one point about why is this important, um, it is all about um, awareness, brand awareness. And that's why people like Coca-Cola or Co maybe not Kodak, but Coca-Cola or Apple, Microsoft, all these big companies spend millions of dollars developing a logo because that is their calling card. That's their mm. business. And if that logo becomes very iconic, and it could do over time, you see that in an advert for like five seconds. That, you know, I'm in Canada, so it's like five o'clock in the morning, most Grand Prix are on. That might just jog your memory. Ah, oh, got to watch Grand Prix. I've got to take yeah. the Grand Prix. Yeah. You know, it, that is all the message. Otherwise, every single company would have their logo in Helvetica. <laughs> you know? Very good. Well, that uh, makes sense. Away from that, Andy, a close season in terms of most people's racing, not for us, but not for you either, I would think. As many people know, you do a huge amount of, of livery work. A lot of new cars coming into IMSA and other championships for next year. You nice and busy? Uh, it's bonkers. <laughs> but that's a good thing, isn't it? It is, but I'm <laughs> very sleep deprived at the moment. So, uh, yeah, this week's a big challenge because um, you can imagine... People have to get the cars liberated up and certain things signed off before Christmas so they can be at the Royal Test, ah. you know, because the, the trucks and things like that load up on the 1st, 2nd, 3rd of January. So in reality, they've got to have stuff done before then. There's also an IMSA test later this week. Yeah. Um, I think one of my liveries will be there. So there was a challenge as well to get something, you know, to get stuff done. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. And I'm starting work on the IMSA guide as well, which is oh, wow. you know, as many as 55 cars, because I think we had 54, 55 WeberTech cars last year, and then 40 or 30 or 40 Continentals. So, um, yeah, crazy. Well, we'll let but you get back to it. Thank I, you very much yeah. for being our yeah. expert, mate. Cool. No worries. Uh, best to Joanne and the family. Well, do. Thank you very much. And I, um, 
Thanks for calling. No, no worries, mate. Good to have you on the show. It's been too long. Uh, Andy yeah. Blackmore there from Andy Blackmore Design. Uh, livery, design, vehicle styling, illustration and spotter guides, of course. He is our man in the trade. Oh, do you feel illuminated now, Nick, after hearing I, I do feel illuminated. Mate, more importantly, whilst, whilst he was chatting, I've been I've been having all the logos up. I also did a, a, a Google image search for negative space logos. That's great as well. Yeah, yeah, very good, very I good mean, indeed. No, I, 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 it's, it's one of those, you know, you know, we get Sam on. I'm prepared to argue with him, but if Andy's going to talk about logos, I'm not going to say a word, am I? <laughs> no, uh, no, that's that's true. That's true enough. Okay, that, that has been the big talking point about Formula One, and it's it's been lovely to have. Uh, Andy on as our expert. However, we have got some other big stories. And mm-hmm. the, possibly the biggest story, and the phone ringing in the background there, uh, may have been our contact uh, from the manufacturer uh, concerned, is something that we have been trailing for quite some time. Alfa yeah. Romeo are back in Formula One. I know. I, 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 my, my car's chuffed about it as well. <laughs> Your car. Yeah, she, she wants to be resuscitated it too. It's, it's a big day. For, it's a big day for, for the car. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very very good news on a great number of levels. Um, perhaps the only people it's not very very good news for oddly is Liberty Media, and I'll go into that later. Oh, okay. Um, but the fact is that, as you said, we we have this the fact that Alfa Romeo were looking to get back into F1 effectively badge engineering and i'm not sure it is badge engineering when it's actually the same company um the ferrari engine um has been an open secret for i think more than 18 months um and certainly halfway through last season we were looking for a home for the engine and, and we kind of there was a toss-up between sauber and toro rosso at the time and because of the various mutterings coming out from france tell us we actually thought that might happen the, the toro rosso might even be bought out by alfa romeo obviously they're, they're being helped they're, they're based down in uh in Italy, that kind of went quiet, and then it became very, very obvious from, oh, I don't know, sort of July time, once everyone realised that Charles Leclerc was really, really good, um, that there was going to be a huge tie-up between Ferrari and Sauber. Um, Sauber, once they ditched the the Honda concept, and, uh, and unfortunately, um, Marie Marsh, uh, what's the first name? Cloutenburn, uh, Manisha. Manisha, that's it. Manisha, Manisha Cloutenburn. Obviously, they they, they then. Uh, immediately moved out of that Honda deal, started talking to Ferrari. We thought they were going to take drivers, and then it became obvious that they were going to be the, the home for Alfa Romeo, which is great to have Alfa Romeo back in, in F1. I mean, don't forget, they won the first two world championships um, yes. back yes. in 1951. Um, you know, it, it's, they, they are obviously one of the storied Grand Prix teams, but mostly from pre-war. So... Yeah. In a way, you see, it's a, it's a, we're back to Donington in 1937 with Mercedes versus uh, but, versus Alfa Romeo. We just need our Audi to turn up as well. They have the Auto Union. Auto there. Union. But, yes, very good. There have been around since then, though. There was the there was the Alfa cars a, a bit uh, yeah, within I mean, my had, remembrance. Yeah, they had the the, the um, you know the well known um, cigarette manufacturer company sponsored them for four or five years in the late 70s early 80s in, in in and i have done a bit of research on this and in what was actually a significantly less successful period than i thought it was um and a couple of years with the cars all around the kind of the burgeoning turbo era with uh Benetton sponsorship before the the they took over the tolman team Benetton. and uh you know not massive success a couple of um podium or well four or five podiums a couple with uh, andrea de Cesare. um effectively you know a, a relatively 
capable chassis stymied by um, the early turbine reliability that most of the engines have. They just went peeing more off than others. Um, always remembered, I think, and certainly if, if Joseph was here, Joe Bradley was here, he'd be the first person to talk about the, you know, the, the more famous uh, iteration with Alfa Romeo, which when they powered Brabham's for a couple of years yeah. back in the uh, late 70s. That's the ones I remember, of course. One with the fan car, of course, back in in Sweden. So they have, they'll always be iconic. And the, and the reason, of course, that the fan car came about was because it was right at the beginning of ground effect. Uh, the, the Alfa, as was the Ferrari, were big flat 12s to get the power. Big flat 12s were terrible for undercar aerodynamics. So they had to think of some other way to get the uh, mm. the, 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 the ground effect downforce. And, and a big fan was the, was the way that, that Gordon Murray went. But no, I mean, I think you know, Alfa Romeo certainly are one of the historic brands of, of F1. Um, you know, they, 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 they effectively you go back to when it all started before it was a Grand Prix. It was just you know, very brave men racing around at 27 mile open tracks in the middle of middle of france or uh, uh parts of north africa and then you if you've already seen both works and um uh privateer um don't forget that's where a certain mr um enzo ferrari started well as yeah. team manager um great some great pictures coming through on the uh web of the uh the Benetton Alphas uh, with the shield on the nose. A very wide cockpit. Those cars look great. Very, very good indeed. This must mean that Charles Leclerc will get his Formula One drive then, won't it? It does. I mean, Charles Leclerc is an absolute shoo-in. And the only debate now is whether Longbow... I I remembered on the way home what type of... um, Archie product they were who were who had the money in the company Longbow, yeah. um, who are obviously have backed Marcus Ericsson for most of his career. Uh, they have a decision to make about whether to take Antonio Giovinazzi and obviously lose their no claims bonus, um, <laughs> or, uh, or stick with Marcus Ericsson. I think you know Giovinazzi if he gets a run is probably a quicker a quicker driver than. Uh, Ericsson, it's going to be an interesting. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting conversation, and will result in how much extra money they can get out from Romeo, uh, or obviously actually out of uh, Sergio Mascioni, who is is backing this. Now, do you notice the irony of this announcement, John? Uh, in what respect? Well, what three weeks ago? What was Sergio Mascioni saying? Uh, Ferrari, you're going to pull out Formula One. So now we have two FCA teams in the Fiat uh, Chrysler in in the because uh, don't get me wrong, whilst it's Sauber, effectively this is Alfa Romeo. They've got all the money. Yeah, well, uh, well, but it, I mean, it's going to run a, uh, a it's going to run branding on the engine cover. It's it's a Ferrari engine, isn't it? It's yeah, not going it, to be anything this, different. This is not. This is this may have Sauber's entry, but this is is they will be, and then this is not meant to be insulting. They will do what Ferrari want them to do. Or right. what Fiat Chrysler Group want to do? And, are we uh, getting here? Is this then? And this was going to be my next question, and that's why I brought up Leclerc. Um, Tis I. Um, uh, is this effectively? And I and now here is an irony. Is this effectively a Toro Rosso to Red Bull Racing? Is is this Sauber to Ferrari? We've talked about a Ferrari Junior team before with this. We thought. Uh, and I have to say, I thought it might have been Haas because of the big push into the US by Alfa Romeo. And I thought they might it might have been Haas that was the Alfa Romeo, uh, Romeo uh, works team. Um, are we talking about a complete takeover here? Sauber's entry, but effectively moving towards a satellite team of Ferrari. Politically, this would be a satellite team. Right. Obviously, it's still based on Hidden World, and, and it will still retain that Swissness that makes Sauber actually quite a, a very efficient organisation. But, you know, this is the point. You know, the thing I say about um, 
why it's actually bad news for Liberty, despite getting another major manufacturer in, is because it adds a block. So we now have uh, effectively the grid dividing into blocks and behind manufacturing. Now, I think we had about four or five years ago, when we were losing teams left, right and centre, Remember we talked about teams all having junior teams anyway, with three blocks of four. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you look at now, this is the way, the, the way the blocks we have now. We have block A, which is uh, Red Bull and uh, Toro Rosso. Who, then you have block B, which is now Ferrari and Sauber, with probably most of the influence on Haas, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. Then you have block C, which is Mercedes plus the two teams who run their engines, Williams and uh, Force India. And then you have block D, which is an interesting one now, which is Renault. But Renault now, of course, have their hooks into McLaren. Yeah. So you now have these various blocks all, you know, and most of them are completely aligned. The only team, the only people who aren't aligned uh, at the moment are Renault and McLaren, because McLaren think the, the, the new engine regs and three engine rule is a good idea. And Renault think it's not such a good idea. So, but people basically are, are falling behind their engine manufacturer. And with the major fight that's going to come up soon for Liberty, well, two major fights, one, which is, the fight over the new Concord agreement and sharing the cash out. Um, you know, a lot of the smaller teams are now allying up with bigger teams, so you wonder how that's going to work. But also with the new engine regulations, you know, you, if, they, if if you turn around and they go right, you know, we're going, Ferrari said we're going to pull out. Well, that's fine, but if we're going to pull two teams out, um, that threat, however you may think it is, often made uh, in a you know a frivolous way, is is all the greater, mm. and and therefore the the influence that that block of teams has, it's twenty percent of the grid. Let's be honest, is much much greater. So, it's a very good political move from uh, Sergio. It also, it also it also, as you say, completely um, sits in his aims of trying to promote Alfa Romeo. You know, he's he's already stated that the other sporting brand, Maserati, will spearhead their electrical push so they'll be they'll be in hybrid and electric racing um so it's a it's a you know it's, it's an endorsement of, of motorsports an endorsement of f1 and i think it's a i think it's a, i think overall it's positive i'm not too particularly bothered about the machinations about the engines i think in the end they'll come to an agreement that, that everyone will hate so that's fine um but you know so it's a point where it, it does give a you know a, a great lift to a team that's in serious trouble in uh now but and we get i think we're gonna get a team that's gonna shoot up the midfield and you know the slowest team will be will be closer to the fastest teams uh final question possibly we should have had andy on for this as well um that means clearly the car has to be dark alfa romeo red not ferrari red dark monza blood alfa romeo red with the big shield on it and alfa romeo in script not any blocky letters script written on the new for 2018 finless engine cover yes Gold wheels, gold wheels as well, please. I don't know the gold wheels because it might make it difficult to work out which of the 712 compounds you're on. But um, uh, I think yeah, absolutely. No, no, gold I mean, wheels, not tires. Well, yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely it's branding exercise. It's a branding exercise. You use your brand. Hmm. Lots of clover leaves. Lots of clover leaves. Yes, good point. Uh, and the other part of this, uh, and dear listener, uh, always read the auto, automotive press as well as the motorsport press. Stelvio and Julia, particularly the Quadrifoglio with the uh, V6 2.9? 2.9. Three quarters of a Ferrari engine, no coincidence there. Uh, uh, with 510 horsepower. Nick drives one, a dark grey one because he thought they were going mm. to Haas so he could have put the <laughs> stickers on. Uh, I, I tested the dark red one because I knew they wouldn't. Um, the, uh, can, I, can I actually just say, because I, I think it's only, it, you know, when you, it is, 
absolutely fantastic. And I've had it now seven months, and I still look forward to getting into it every time I do. I had also, I, I had the original I, press car, which had 17,500 miles on it, and clearly been ragged within an inch, inch of its life. And it was tight as a drum and fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Also, this week, I've discovered my new favourite extra. After, I thought adaptive cruise control was my favourite, but I've got a heated steering wheel. And blimey, I love that this week. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> I bet you do. I, I have to say that my Jeep seats turning themselves on as soon as you get in the car without you having to do anything. That's pretty good as well. Um, mm. So that's Alpha. Uh, so it will be Sauber Alpha next year then, will it? Alpha Sauber. Alpha Romeo Sauber. Okay, yeah. excellent, and we look forward to seeing the uh, the Swiss uh, Cross as well as the uh, Clover Leaf. Is, you know how I'm prepared to say, oh, I'm sure what's going to happen. I actually have no idea whether they're going to go for Giovinazzi or Ericsson. It's really interesting because normally you think, oh, it's obvious, but just not quite so sure. Okay, all about influence, says uh, oh, yeah. Nick Damon. But welcome back to Alfa Romeo on the Formula One grid for next year. By the way, while we're talking about Formula One, Nick will be back on uh, Friday evening. We'll not be talking about any of the new developments because we'll be turning the clock back to the end of 2016 and the start of 2017 as we look back at the uh, Formula One season for this year. Our review is at 8 o'clock UK on RS1. You're listening to RS1. Uh, this is Midweek Motorsport, just after half past eight. Hello there. It's John Hindoff and Nick Damon in this uh, early part of the uh, early part of the show now what else have we got before we get on to testing first mm. words starting end of the season's great isn't it because nobody has to be nice about anybody that they don't have to be nice about anymore all the new partnerships have been inked in everybody's been lovely so um who is going to have more equal leadership than before uh, that'll be honda and uh, Toro Rosso. Absolutely right. Honda will take on more leadership in its partnership with Toro Rosso following what they've called their, quote, difficult years with McLaren, according to the head of the Formula One project, Yasuki Hasegawa. Now, in fairness, Honda haven't had the best time with McLaren. McLaren is a big, scary animal in some respects. Toro Rosso, a little bit smaller, but they at least have got some... Honda at least have got some experience behind them now, even if all that is, Nick, is, well, we're not going to make those mistakes again. Well, yeah, uh, that they haven't shown much evidence of learning from that, in, if I'm honest, in three years. They, they managed to make a raft of mistakes all over again at the beginning of this season. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it is a good point you make, and it's a point they make that with a Grand D team like McLaren, who expects certain things and, 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 you know, demand that not anywhere do you jump, but you jump to a certain height and you jump to it within a certain amount of time. Um, they're under tremendous pressure to, to, to deliver, especially when they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're thinking that the more lower profile, less demanding uh, Toro Rosso might suit them better and they can possibly develop in a slightly more relaxed way. And you never know whether whether the, the pushing from McLaren may have, you know, may have pushed them to do things too quickly and cause problems. You don't know. You don't, you, you, we'll never know that. Nick, uh, I mean, is uh, in some, I mean, you know, the people who were uh, uh, at Honda now doing the engine, they weren't the people who were back in, who were doing Honda's F1 program back in nah. the day. They've all moved on. So, in some ways, they've only known Formula One through their relationship with with McLaren. I, I know that sounds a ridiculous thing to say with a, 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 an engine manufacturer and a team, uh, or a manufacturer rather, who have so much Formula One experience as Honda. But effectively, they had to had to start again. Um, this is going to be very different for them, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, the last engines they would have produced or had any relationship with would have been the Mugen Hondas of about 2004 or five when they stopped making those, which, of course, were big V10s. Mm. The issue is, if we were just looking for a, an old-fashioned ICE of 8 cylinders, 10 cylinders, or 12 cylinders, you kind of think they'd have probably sorted that one out in, by, by halfway through year one, let alone year two. The issue is these engines are, for good or for bad, the most complicated and advanced engines anyone's ever built. I mean, and I include the raft of LMP1 engines on there. The the regeneration is, is you know, and it's not, and that is not a good thing. That's just a statement. Um, so you know, to come in from from cold and try and do the MGUH, try and do the curs or MGU what we called it, and the basically you know, with game with the packaging issues, um, and you know, not not effectively having to you know having to get a car that ordinarily works engine you've got power you've got weight you've got weight distribution you've got how it fits with the aerodynamics they went down some blind alleys they followed too much i think they got overly bigged up by ron you know it was a it was a difficult partnership and, and, and i think really you know the, the the i probably had quite a bit of sympathy for them in year one year two but this year they've completely dropped the ball so they're gonna to have to try and pick it up over the winter and find a reasonable amount of horsepower and a lot of reliability for Toro Rosso but the fact is that if we hear that Brendan Hartley's got his uh, his fifth consecutive uh, grid-based penalty you know it's not going to make the same news as Fernando Alonso going back 30 places yes indeed tyre testing's been going on after Abu Dhabi we'll talk about that are we we doing the Grand Prix or not we're doing tyres first the Grand Prix first yeah, let's do the Grand Prix. Uh, it wasn't the most exciting Grand Prix of the year, was it? I, I think. I think. You know how you normally say, "Oh, it's an agony." No, no, you're wrong. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was great. It was a little bit dull that one. <laughs> well, well, put it this way. I, um, as you know, I've been a bit busy recently on um, yeah. various family uh, things, and uh, I had my uh, my dad's sister and her husband down uh, at lunchtime and we watched the first four laps before we had to go out and then when we got where we were going and uh, had done part of what we were supposed to be doing I was sitting and watched the Channel 4 coverage um, uh, where I was on uh, in the UK it was on that's the last is that the last one on Channel 4 have they got next year as well no, next year all right next as well. year. okay um, and the only thing that had changed is that uh, Danny Ricciardo yeah. had fallen out of the race. And really yeah. no, nothing else happened. Um, I, I think, uh, let me just say to you, I, I think it was good. I'm, I, I don't want to go over this too much because we're going to be talking about the whole season on Friday, 8 o'clock RS1, our review of the year of Formula 1. Um, I, I think it was a really good confidence booster for Valtteri Bottas. Uh, I don't think Lewis was trying that hard, but Ferrari were out of it. Uh, Kimi was laconic as ever, which I know you think means he's hopeless. Uh, what? It's not good enough for the drive he's got. Okay. Um, not going to be your drive of the year on Friday, I feel, perhaps. <laughs> not a spoiler that, I don't think. Um, he's, down the low, he's down the late teens. What do you think? Um, you know, I... I is it the track? Is it the track? Well, Seriously? Yeah, this is the really interesting because obviously we've been the last couple of years to Abu Dhabi, yeah. a couple of weeks after the season. I'm still holding out hope we might go again this year, but you know. Um, we um, And the tracks, you know, it's a beautiful facility. And, uh, you know, and people talk about, oh, yeah, but they have, yes, they spent money, but they spent money in the right way on that. It's a fabulous facility. And 
all the races we, we, we've had there, there's been no issue with, with overtaking. There's no issue in Formula 2. There's no issue in Formula 3, uh, in G, sorry, GP3. But you get the F1 cars in, and they can't overtake. Now, it's even, you know, with DRS, some of the cars, I mean, for goodness sake, you know, even, yeah, it's, it's, it's something to do with the layout. And, and there were some hints afterwards that Tilka knew what it was. And I was thinking, we know it is the last five years. Why haven't you blimmin' changed it? Mm-hmm. You know, they, got the, you know, they, they had the money. The problem is, really, that even when you get really, really close to someone, um, you go around that last sector, which is all very twisty turny you know where you're absolutely sitting on the nose of the car mm. with modern f1 cars where they are you know having 172 separate elements on the front wing all of which are terribly important you know even if you're you are going to fall back one to 1.2 seconds behind the person ahead of you and th- and therefore they're going to try and make that up effectively over a couple of corners before the drs zone comes in and then be able to blast past which you need an, a lot of extra horsepower and it just doesn't seem to work you would th- theoretically the design you would look at it and you go yep that's no problem at all they'll be going past like you know as easily as they do in canada mm. it just doesn't happen so it, it, it did they... help when they um put the second drs sword in but I, I, you know that's a sticking plaster on a different wound isn't it really um it, I, it, I, it, I, it's I I don't I think the the, the the point about it is I think yeah we the last what, third of the track is impossible to overtake yeah what needs to I think yeah no one probably everyone seems to realise this but you know there's no no chance to do anything about it till 2020 but what we need to do and it's not the hardest thing of all is you just have to make the cars less less front wing dependent and you can do that quite easily by giving them more underbody downforce and oh. Single plane front wings only. It's a, it's a, if you just write one word, single plane front wings, and you say, Adrian, that means one, and then you're fine. <laughs> yeah, um, read his book, How to Design a Car. Fantastic stuff. Uh, you're listening and, to Midweek Motorsports. Sorry, Nick, go on, finish your point. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, these are relatively simple solutions that, you know, that, yeah, you, 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 it's need perhaps a little bit fleshing out, but you, know, you can see the way the cars have no way of following each other, and that's going to be the same... You know, I'm sure that Mercedes is absolutely appalling at following cars. That's one of the things they've stuck on the list to try and improve because they've obviously got to feel they're going behind cars more often as the others catch up. But, you know, it, it, this particular track, because it's a particular design, which in some ways looks like it should work and works for everything else, doesn't work for F1. But well done, Valtteri. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure there was... Was there anybody else to pick out of that before I do a few tweets? Um, not really. Massa did well to get into the Q3, and Lance Stroll was appalling. There we are. Let's, let's, let's do a negative one. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, more on that on uh, Friday, RS1 at 8 o'clock UK time. Nick and I will be going through, and I, I think Tim's back uh, for that as well. Hello, Chris Suku joining us late tonight. David Two brews also sneaking in at the back and trying not to uh, let the door squeak on his way in. It was Liam's third birthday today. Happy birthday, uh, Liam. Uh, birthday cake and prezzies have uh, have now been consumed and opened, hopefully in the right order. Um, otherwise, it's a trip to E&E, isn't it? Um, so two brews, Junior, three years old uh, today. Are you listening to Midweek Motorsport? Uh, it is... Oh, now what are we on? Uh, series oh, 12 episode. Never guess it. <laughs> is it stars on 45 this weekend? I think I think it is 45. Obviously, right now on the podcast, Tim be shouting, "No, it's 40 something." Yeah. Okay. I think it stars on 45 this week, and uh, Nick Damon is with us. So we're talking Formula One. The team stayed in Abu Dhabi for a few mm. days. Nice weather. Lovely. 
been it's sp- expensive though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends if you have it by only if you have it by the pool. Um, well, yes. <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about the tyre testing that was going on. Yes. Now, before I talk about the tyre testing specifically, mm-hmm. a, an interested... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone who was partaking of tyre testing was very interesting. That's Robert Kubica. He did 100 yes. laps in the 2017 uh, car, the that FW40. Yesterday. That was yesterday, few, yeah. And he did a few more today. Um, yeah. How did he get on? Um, I think he was uh, reasonably impressive. I think. I think. You know, the, the thing is, you don't really know what they're looking for from from uh, Robert. I mean, you kind of think that they they must be testing him in a, in a different style to everyone else in in trying to find out what it is that he can do. What he more importantly, what he is he can't do. What where where are the limitations? And you know, he did 100 laps, which is one, which is just one and seven eighths or one and seven ninths of a uh, Grand Prix distance. So he's you know, got obviously the stamina is no issue. Fitness mm-hmm. is no issue. Um, I'm sure they'll have asked him to do things like, you know, change the brake bias whilst going down the back straight and that sort of thing to Good test point. how his um, uh, the skills are. Yeah. The skills. I mean, the, the, interesting, the interesting quote that did come out was he's, he's making it very clear he's not driving one handed. And somehow I did think about this. We kind of think, oh, yeah, he's got this. And he has got terrible injuries on that on his other hand. Absolutely. But he has now had six years to get used to it. So he now has had six years to work out how he can make what he's got work for him. Mm. So it's, you know, it's not like, you know, you, you sit there the first day and you go, this thing does nothing. He now knows what he can do with it, knows what he can be done. He will have been, developed it as much as he can. And therefore, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it's, it's obviously a, a limiting factor. But he does come from a point where he was very, 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 very good uh, and would have walked into any of the top three teams. So, you, so picking him up, if they believe he can still do what he can do, they were obviously he's never driven um, the new Pirellis. His accent was prior to the Pirelli era. So he's got a lot to learn and there's a limited amount of testing. And I suppose what Williams need to work out is, you know, can he provide them with some points and consistency when, you know, the issue they would probably have if they were going to say with them. Um, uh, Lance is that Lance blows incredibly hot and incredibly cold. Now you'd hope with the second year he'd improve, but they, the, the risk they've got is not that Kubitz is not going to be able to complete a Grand Prix, not that he's going to have crashes caused by his injury. It, the, the, the issue they have is can he, after a six year layoff and with ha- carrying the disabilities he does, produce at a level close enough to his original level, which was obviously way better than he needed to be for this drive to produce the points at least to the level which Felipe got last year and hopefully a few more you know emerge with the car and that's what they're assessing now the flip side of this is they don't have particularly stellar options with with you know with apologies to Dave Paul DeResta they're not looking at another great option you know Sergei Sorokin yeah he did 86 laps today and he was relatively quick but he's been kind of passed over um you know, it was passed over Danny Kvyat in the first place as the, as the uh, Russian driver of choice um you know there's uh, Artem Markolov would probably be next choice of Russian driver on the way they, they run up in, in in formula 2 so he's you know there he's he's journeyman rookie you've got um you know, the opportunity to have, to have uh, Paul DeResta if they're really, really honest, they probably want to take a punt on Pascal Verlein because he'd come with some lovely Mercedes money and yes. he's pretty quick. But he's too young. 
And they kept saying it's not an issue. It is an issue when your major sponsor stipulates someone has to be over 25 when he's not over 25. And you can try and big it up and go, it won't be a problem. Yeah, the only way it wouldn't be a problem is Mercedes gave them even more shed loads of cash. And I get the impression that Mercedes probably think that their young driver program is doing just about fine at the moment with uh, Esteban Ocon and backing him up a couple of years younger or a couple of years further back in his career uh, cycle, George Russell. So they think, well, do we need to you know, invest in Verline as well when we think we've got a suitable backstop with Ocon now? Now, into the testing itself. First time we've seen the uh the the sam tires the hyper soft the hyper soft but soft the super soft the mega soft Every, everybody the, uh, soft, set soft, their oh. best times on tuesday on wednesday on the hypers apart from kubica and that driver who's no good um that you mentioned at ferrari who drives yeah. that number seven car was fastest i yeah. know well done he can drive one lap quickly get a good one but that's not yeah. what he normally does, in fairness. So have we well, found the, the key no. to Kimi is that he's yeah. soft? No, he's just testing. It doesn't mean anything. You can't compare anything. You know, Lewis is three-quarter seconds slower than the Ferrari on the same tyre, but who knows how much fuel he had in the car? Who knows if he actually went for any sort of run? Who knows whether they were just testing bits for, for next year? You know, it's... it's uh, yeah, never look at the times you can, it, because it doesn't mean much. You, you can't ever. Tell, oddly, you can rarely tell anything of the fastest time. You can often tell things from the slowest times. Mm. It's uh, a better indicator of problems than an indicator of things going well. Only McLaren with two cars out there because of the cancelled test uh, in, in Brazil. Brazil. So Lewis, th- so it was Raikkonen quickest and Danny Rick second. Lewis third, did 136 lap. Uh, Roman Grosjean fourth for Haas. Fernando uh, Orlando uh, was fifth. Sixth yeah. was Hulkenberg. No, Stroll was fifth. That was he? Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really mean, it doesn't mean much. I mean, the Haas was fourth. That tells you that you know, they were running lighter than some of the other teams, you know. Okay. Uh, but I mean, the, the the interesting thing was everyone said they, they like the new Hypersoft. Um, we're running these new. The idea really is that they they, they, they this year because um, Pirelli decided to go a little bit conservative. Didn't know what the extra downforce would do to the tyres. Uh, I think just about every single race, bar about two, became one stop, didn't it? Yeah. And and the avowed statement from Pirelli and the FIA is also an F and F1 is the majority of races should be two stoppers with the occasional three stopper and the occasional one stopper. So, for example, Monaco will always be a one stopper because you, you know you can't wear anything out on that on that track and no one's going to stop twice, even if it seems like it might be quicker because of the track position issue. But they, 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 they don't want to get to the point where we had a couple of years ago, we had a couple of four stops and the tyres weren't even lasting. But they want to get to a point, and so hence they have got tyres which do which they know work. They're just going gradually softer each year. until And, and they'll go, you know, every single race will have a grade softer. Mm. Um, and, they'll, and, and therefore you will build in more two-stop races. All right, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Coming up in the second hour, we'll have Marshall Pruitt talking uh, a lot of sense about everything quite honestly we're going to get him to put the world to rights on everything uh, got a couple of pointless press releases of the week to squeeze in before the end of this first hour with Nick as well but I've got some rally news for you next oh sorry oh, oh right sorry uh, who's not retiring at least for one more year Sebastian Ogier well done and what's he going to do next year when he's not retiring drive a Ford 
He is. He's going to go for... I'm so, s- glad I, I'm so glad I read that tweet earlier. That's very good. Uh, he's just, of course, cl- clinched his fifth consecutive World Rally Championship title. And he will be staying with M Sport, Malcolm Wilson's team, up in what I still want to call Cumbria. I think it's still called that. Uh, for the 2018 season, uh, Elvin Evans, sorry, Elvin Evans uh, will be his teammate. Ogier, thinking about retirement, he's only 33. He's bored as well with rallying. Isn't he? I don't know. I, I, I think I'm becoming a bit of a broken record about this, so I'm going to stop. I'm just going to think of Escort Mexico, and that's fine for now. Uh, he says, I can't wait to get behind the wheel and Rally Monte Carlo can't come soon enough. Uh, that was Elvin Evans, of course. Uh, we are expecting a third uh, Ford Fiesta WRC car uh, and announcement on that in the coming weeks. We'll try and get Markham on the show, sorry, actually. I think you just summed up the problem in two words. Which is? Ford Fiesta. It's hardly an Audi, is it? Um, if I said Chelsea, <coughs> yes, Tottenham, Hotspur, yes, yes. and Paris Dakar, yeah, what would you think of Chelsea, Tottenham, Paris Dakar? Yeah, um, I can't think of anyone's played for Chelsea and Tottenham. Well, believe it, believe it or for... not, mm-hmm. Andreas Villas Boas. Yes. Is going to be taking on the 2018 Dakar Rally. Really? Yep. Uh, he's going to have uh, the former biker, uh, Ruben Ferreira, joining him as co-driver, another uh, Portuguese driver. He's 40, Vias Boas. And he said, <laughs> this shows you how bonkers he really is. I thought about having a go on the bike before getting into the car. Uh, but that is, in fairness, that is probably a very good move. Well, Aris Doringer, who you will know, Nick, is the manager of the KTM team, said yep. I need, you would need a full year's prep to get there on a bike, so just do it in a car. So he's did going. He, to... Did he also say, I'm never l- lending Graham Goodwin a car again? Well, uh, yes. <laughs> Graham Goodwin not in the Dakar rally. That's why for Graham on the podcast. He's doing uh, it in a Toyota Hilux, believe oh, it or not. Truck. Yeah, I know oh, the Hilux is the is the Hilux the small it's truck isn't it? It's a truck. It's, it's not a pickup. Pick yeah, pickup. Yeah. Um, I've got a feeling that his uncle competed uh, at some stage in the past in that. Although the story I'm reading here doesn't uh, say that. Uh, the 40th edition of the uh, Dakar Rally next year. Not going to Dakar, of course. It's in Peru, Bolivia, and Argentina. Um, so there we are. From football manager to uh, to Dakar driver. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We've got a few minutes before uh, we get into the second hour of the programme. Time for this. Or even this. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. That's what happens John, when you try John, to play... A, pl- try in, to play fairness, a, in fairness, that's a brilliant impression of Tim playing a jingle. Well, yeah, but in fairness, I'm trying to do that on a computer that's 100 miles away from me. It's, it's just in front of him. I know this. Right, here we go. All that. You have to read, I have to read this in my best uh, Pathé News voice. If you could. Okay. <clears throat> Give the classic gift this Christmas. Silverstone classic tickets are the perfect festive present. Bing Crosby may be dreaming of a white Christmas and hearing sleigh, be- sleigh bells in the snow, but for many, finding the perfect present for loved ones can be a challenge. 
For those seeking an inspirational festive brainwave, tickets for next summer Silverstone Classic, 20th to 22nd of July, could be a stroke of genius, and not just for petrol heads. With live music from headline acts, funfair rides, air display, driving activities, a shopping village, plus a host of other great entertainments, don't the kids love it, and... It's, that's not written there, by the way. And Pursuit for All Ages, that's where I should have put, and don't the kids love it? Ice cream, Daddy. Yes, please. Uh, tickets for the world's <laughs> biggest classic. So uh, it's not really... Uh, I, love, uh, I love the idea. So you've got this guy, so Barry from Chislehurst, who's yeah. a big fan of lawn bowls and occasionally looks out for the uh, Croydon football score in the National League. And you give him two tickets to Silverstone Classic which he has no interest in motorsport for. And you go, why is that? Well, they said that it's, it's fun for everybody. What, right. are you going to stand the Winsford Airfield, do I, for two days? Now, hang on. Shopping village. What do you think that Nick Wigley, CEO of Silverstone Classic, organiser Goose Live Events, said? Silverstone Classic is a fabulous day out for all the family. I don't know whether he starts, uh, he says that, he says... Give someone Silverstone Classic... Sorry, most of us sadly don't have time to be dreaming of a white Christmas. We're all too busy searching for best presents to buy our loved ones. But if you you give someone Silverstone Classic tickets, they'll spend the next seven months daydreaming about those wonderful cars and the many delights of sharing, here it comes, a wonderful family day out. They'll spend the next seven months going, you don't bloody know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Very good indeed. Uh, have we got time to squeeze another one in before uh, the oh. top of the hour? Yes, oh, we have. Um, now, the headline for this doesn't really betray, betray how fabulous the first uh, the first paragraph is. Oh. Formula E car races a cheetah in Savannah Sprint. Formula right. E, right? Formula E goes wild. Hang on, it's almost in the same voice, isn't it? No, you need to find your best sort of um, uh, BBC Kids Wildlife program. It is. Or... Yeah. I, uh, what about David Attenborough? No, it's too a, ser- it's too no, serious. It oh, kids, yes. <laughs> Formula E goes wild and raced against cheetahs to highlight impact of climate change on endangered species. Seems what? Like... Yes, believe it or not. Now, hang on. Alessandro Agag, founder and CEO of Formula E, said, mm-hmm. now, let me get through this yeah. before you cry out in incredulity. Go on then. Right? Yep. We knew the similarities in performance, so we were curious to see the outcome of what is even more important to determine the outcome of the future, not only for us, but for the cheetah and other animals we share our planet with. Never finish uh, with a preposition. It should have been with which we share our planet, obviously. But but the bit I want you to, to comment on is we knew the similarities in performance. What? A cheetah could out, which does 65 to 70 miles an hour, is quicker at top speed than a Formula E car. No. I'll tell you what the similarities between a cheetah and a... Uh... A Formula E car is a cheetah can can run twice, twice, and he's a really long lie down to reach a <laughs> It was done in the Western Cape, and here is the uh, the, the how do you get a, how do you get a cheetah to run at full whack on demand? Uh, because uh, they only do that when they're chasing something. Well, maybe they had one of the other drivers running ahead of it. Suppose they had a wildebeest, sort of a hare, like a greyhound thing, like a hare-shaped wildebeest. Or, actually, wildebeest is too big for a cheetah, isn't it? What do they eat? Like warthogs or something. And they had it springing down the thing, and this poor thing's whacking away at 70 miles an hour. But, you know, even Formula E cars are faster than that. Not by much, but the, they are faster than that. So, hang on. 
Uh, the, the world's fastest land animal, the Formula E car, both reach speeds of 0 to 100 uh, miles an hour, 60 uh, kilometers an hour, 60 miles in approximately three seconds. Who'll come up out on top? Jean-Eric Verne was riding the cheetah. No, no, he was driving the car. Sorry, the cheetah was driving the car, and Jean-Eric. No, no, that's. Hang on. Is this whole thing a, a play on words? Because he drives the cheetah T. Very good. You see, well done. Um, wait a minute. <laughs> How many puns can you get in? The fully electric Formula E car took a walk on the wild side. Oh, Jesus. Right? Both sleek and agile machines on four legs and four wheels sat side by side on a landing strip in a remote part of the Western Cape to see Mm -hmm. who was quicker off the mark in a drag race. See? Um, Surprisingly and unfortunately, uh, poor old John Aitvern was shot by an American dentist. (laughs) And the pictures are already up on on, uh, Twitter. On Facebook, yeah. Uh, The... The Montreal E-Prix winner and the Cheetah were pitted against each other ahead of the new season of Formula E to bring attention to the disastrous effects of climate change and the danger it poses to the natural habitat of cheetahs. What? Not a PR stunt because nobody's watching FE then? Well, I'm just wondering now, though. I have heard a rumour that actually uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. has lost his drive to the Cheetah. Um. Unfortunately, I've just heard the Cheetah's driven into a wall. Um <laughs> Apparently, there's now just 7,000 cheetahs remaining in the wild, which is uh, 6,500 more than people watch Formula E. So, are we going to get Jaguar racing a Jaguar then? Oh, very good. Very good. And and his dam's going to race a a raging waterfall. Excellent. Can you get any more of those? I I don't know any more teams. Sorry, I just lost Andretti, Dino, racing in... No, I can't. I don't know any more teams. I'm... (laughs) Ah, dear, dear. Uh, there's a, thank you, Tim, for both of those. He fired them in uh, to me earlier on. Um, we're just after nine o'clock. I think we'll probably be saying uh, goodbye uh, to the very lovely Nick Damon. See you again Friday. Oh, Friday. Yes. Are mm. you off to do a bit of yoga? I had, No, I did, I, did, I did pre-show yoga. Did you? Yeah. What did you have for dinner then? Oh, I only had a stir fry. Not up to the usual standards you had. Hmm. All right, see you, uh, or at least speak to you on. Uh, oh, I'm coming Friday. to see you. Oh, are you coming to see me? Oh, yes. Excellent. Have you done? Have you done your homework? I'll not read your Wikipedia. Right, not yet then. <laughs> Clearly. All right, oh, Nick. Yeah. Thanks yeah. very much indeed. Yeah. Speak to you soon, Bye. Nick Damon, joining us live on Midweek Motorsport Series 12, episode number 45. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. Uh, which means we've still got half to come, of course. I bet you worked that one out uh, yourself. In the second half of tonight's programme, we'll have Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com as we talk all things United States. Big catch-up with Marshall this evening. We've been uh, promising to talk to him for uh, a little while now. Keep your tweets coming in, please. At Specutainment are always good to hear what you've got to say. Lots of really good illustrations jotted down on the back of paper napkins for the new Formula One logo. Uh, We'll keep those coming in as well on Midweek Motorsports Series 12, Episode 45, second half, about to get underway. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. So let's kick off that second half of the show. As promised, here is Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. Evening, Marshall. Evening, Marshall. Let's kick away, my man. 
How are you? How was the uh, how was the big celebration? Thanksgiving, of course, last Thursday. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a sort of longish holiday because most people have a bit of a, a weekend of it. How did it all go in the Pruitt household? Went well. Finished the last of our Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I think that was my Monday night dinner, maybe. Excellent. So four or five days worth. So Miss Pruda did herself, and I was uh, very helpful in the consuming yeah, part. Well, all, uh, all was good. Yes, I've been told it's one of my many, or one of my limited strengths, but yes, so always good. Nice to take a little bit of time off uh, to type zero words, edit zero photographs, although I did do a, produce a couple of little podcasts, so that was fun. But for the most part, mate, just good to uh, turn my brain off for a few days. Uh, podcast going very well. Juan Montoya, the uh, who the hell are you uh, subject uh, latest subject, and now that's getting rave reviews uh, as well. Catherine Leg, I enjoyed that one particularly when I was uh, driving around uh, earlier on this week, was it, or was it the back end of last week? I can't remember. Things are running together uh, too much. Who's next up, Marshall? After uh, after one, I haven't decided. You've got uh, them all done, haven't you? So it's just pin the tail no, and throw a dart. I don't. That's the ah. thing. I don't, and they take. And granted, it's not just the. Audio editing, you know, that's the majority of the time, but it's also doing a little, you know, uh, promo, my notepads with some episode highlights, doing that in Photoshop and finding a, the thumbnail photo and the other, blah, blah, blah. Again, it's all normal stuff. It's just it takes a fair amount of time. And since it's kind of an after hours thing, um, yeah, I'm just doing one by one. So, but I think. You know, we've, we started off with Ryan Eversley, so that dips into the World Challenge GT paddock. We went second with Catherine, so that dipped into IMSA's GT paddock. Third, we went with Juan Monterrier, who uh, <laughs> I think for most of us, we uh, many of us think of him in an open-wheel capacity, Formula One, CART, uh, Verizon IndyCar series. I think I might have to go next with one of my three uh, representatives from the media. So, and I'm not sure whether that's going to be you. Oh, Justin Bell. Justin's episode, who, and we're giving him a lot of crap because it's Justin. How could you not? But his, uh, that might be the most fun one simply because we recorded it right after the season-ending Conti race at Petit Le Mans and did it in the media center a little bit later in the day. I think it, anyways, there weren't a ton of people, but it's the one and only episode of Who the Hell Are You that had an actual audience, and uh, people were <laughs> cracking up the whole time, losing it, all thanks to him. So I'm still deciding whether it's going to be you, Justin Bell, or Will Buxton to go next. But I think one of you, uh, one of you three delightful chaps, will be next up. Uh, want us, there's a lot to get through tonight. Uh, a lot of very positive news again from IMSA. Got to start, I'm afraid, on a, a little bit of a sad note with the uh, news of that NASCAR Hall of Fame uh, and World War II hero Walter Bud Moore has has died. Uh, this is a man who won NASCAR championships as a car owner and a crew chief, 92 years old, Spartanburg, South Carolina uh, native. I mean, the words Hall of Fame ba- barely do uh, Budmer justice, to be honest, Marshall. Yeah, and not a frontline character, I would say, uh, in terms of 
you know, when we think of many of NASCAR's most famous team owners, drivers, and otherwise, definitely among that Hall of Fame legendary group, no question. But, you know, his name is not one that's been spoken as often as a Richard or a, a Lee Petty or many of the others who can maybe just have a higher profile does not diminish the impact that Bud left behind in the sport. There's also a, a bit of a fun twist as well when we think about his efforts with uh, the great Parnelli Jones, for example, in the uh, early, early days of the Trans Am series with the uh, the Budmore Ford Mustangs and such. So, you know, wasn't just a stock car guy, was also a road racing guy. And, you know, I hate the fact, mate, that it seems like almost every week Yes. On midweek motorsport, we're talking about a legend of hill climb. I mean, it doesn't matter what. It seems like so many of the uh, elder statesmen uh, and women of our sport were just uh, we're losing them faster than any one of us hope that we would. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, we had uh, the great Bud Moore to that list. Yeah, uh, won the nineteen seventy eight uh, Daytona five hundred with Bobby Allenson. Uh, of course, and uh, just what was he said? He said he referred to himself as a country mechanic who just loved to make him run fast. Enlisted at 18 year old as a machine gunner, came into France, landed on the Utah beach in France on DJ June the 6th, 1944, and only won five Purple Hearts or was awarded five Purple Hearts <laughs> and two Bronze Stars, the second with clusters. So there's a man who lived life to the full, and we. Uh, pass on our condolences uh, to his uh, large and extended family uh, his uh, sons Daryl, Brent and Greg and uh, along with his grandchildren uh, seven great grandchildren and three great great grandchildren as well as his surviving uh, family as well. Uh, let's uh, best to all of them awful time of the year to, to lose somebody it's never a good time but running up to Christmas even worse. Um, last week uh, we mentioned one or two little re- rule changes uh, from IMSA. IMSA. Let's quickly rattle through those before we get through to uh, uh, the catch-up of what's been happening today and in the last few days. Um, first of all, rule changes once the season gets underway. Uh, change in the pit procedure for the IMSA WeatherTech Championship. The uh, the pro cars effectively will will pit together. That's the the P's, the P cars, and the GT Le Mans cars. That's a change. Yeah, there are a number of interesting changes, Hindy, and uh, looking through them all, I mean that I can't see anything that stands out as as drastically wrong, nope. which is a very nice and positive thing to say. Um, yeah, main takeaway is by reducing from Four classes to three. IMSA obviously has prototype. It's DPIs and WEC P2s on a proverbial island to manage. Uh, It also has its two GT classes, uh, only one of those being Pro-Am. So to your exact point, IMSA, by calling the PC class, there's only one Pro-Am left. There's Mm. two Pro classes now. And uh, just interesting to see that, excuse me, if we look at, uh, restarts, for example, uh, we know that the prototypes are going to restart ahead of the GT classes. Um, I think that's really smart. I'll be honest with you. It got dumped a couple of years ago. Um, it it was always the case in 
things like the Conti series that the the two classes were put back together. It, it's a throwback. It was a throwback. A lot of people said to Grandam, and they said they didn't like it um, because it had always been a mixed restart in the old uh, IMSA ELMS days. But I think we've seen enough now. Um, I think we've seen enough now uh, over the last couple of races, and particularly uh, at Petit Le Mans. Um, to say that I, I think that's a smart move. You, you don't want the leaders having to battle through GT Daytona cars at the at a restart and have to put them offline. Yeah. So the anarchist in me, this is <laughs> this is the well. Look, I mean, I I freely admit that I'm a bit of an anarchist. Uh, I get this. I get this one. I don't think it's a bad call. Uh, it. I think it will serve fans. And teams, but fans who just like the the story left very clean and clear, uh, in the sense that you know the the GT cars are going to move over, let the prototypes go by, however many need to uh, to assemble at the front of the pack before we go back to racing. So the fastest class will be up front. That structure won't be manipulated by some of the back, some of the middle, having to charge through and get back up front to a fight among themselves for the overall win. So I think from a streamlined story capacity, I get that and I think that's great. The little bit of the mayhem, which can be fun, because you know, to me, racing isn't necessarily supposed to be a tidy thing. Uh, you know, this is endurance racing, and so many things have been changed. The cars are so darn reliable that we almost have, you know, very few mechanical failures. Uh, one of the areas, though, that adds in a little bit of that crazy complexity that you can't uh, predict is was the previous format, where you restarted where you were, and that charge through and having to get through without making contact. Etc. You know, again, to me, the, the anarchist loved that, but I get it. Uh, no, you know, again, I don't think this is a bad call. Um, going back to the pit sequence, what we had in the past was prototypes, regardless of what class, pitted together. GTs, regardless of what designation, pitted together. Now, IMSA has said, all right, well, we are going to lump the pro classes prototype and gtlm together and then gtd will be on their own i think also hindy owing to the sheer numbers that we see in the gtd class you know that's certainly not a bad thing because there are lots of them and uh, it's not as if pit lane is going to look uh sleepy or unhurried when uh, the prototype and gtlm cars are done doing their service because there's going to be a lot of gtds descending on that so there's some fun there uh and just looking through some of the other rules I mean, I like uh, one which I think is kind of cool. Tell me what you, what you think about this. It's a the minutia and the rule changes, the things that I love, the bigger things like pit sequences and blow, like okay, we, we kind of talk about those every year because they t- tend to evolve. One of the rules, rule three sixteen five a, competitors must not fully enclose their pit lane setups, oh. such as such as to obscure the view of fans to the majority of the activities, including at least the campaigning of one car. Oh, wow. So so now this isn't going to radically alter anyone's life. No team is going to be able to sell extra sponsorship because of this adjustment. But I'm just – how's this? Daytona, to me, is the, the worst example of this because it's a 24-hour race mm. uh, and also it's the first race and a lot of teams don't want their stuff to be seen if possible and it gets cold what you often get are these big 
uh, walled off huts, you know, whether it's tarps or whatever it is, yeah. you get these mini camps where you have to slide through the little sliver to get in. It's not very inviting from behind. And since fans at Daytona can either, if we want to get a view of pit lane, sit in the grandstands, which is very far away, and you're going to need some high-powered binoculars to see anything in detail. The other option is uh, behind the pits, uh, which you know we see a number of fans get to go back there. You're not you're ten feet away, maybe uh, you know standing at a fence, yeah. being able to look at the backside. And at least for how things are normally done, it's not a very inviting thing because they're all closed off. You can't really see what's going on on pit lane, and each team is covered up. But again, this is just to me one of those little things. You go, good call, IMSA. If yeah. you're a fan who wants to get up close and see some drivers and you name it, this is one of those methods to do that. There. So, again, I yeah. like that. No, I like that. I, I, I'm not sure um, why we've done away with having to hold on to the tyres you qualify on, start the race. Although I suspect that part of that is it doesn't really matter because in two of the three classes, you've got a spec tyre, haven't you? So... Um, as I suppose that's all right. Um, I don't really see the different. The pit allocations are different. Um, it's uh, it, down the pit lane is going to be prototype GTD, GT Le Mans, GTD prototype, GTD etc. Uh, yeah. Down down the line. And and I remember when this happened. Um, remember when the. Uh, all-star game in baseball immediately had to count or immediately began to count for something when it gave the winner from the appropriate conference the appropriate side of the of the draw um, their home field advantage now the raw has that same kind of cashier to it because we've got qualifying for the first race of the season not for the not for the positions on the grid, but for the positions in the pit lane for 15 so, minutes. So let me let me pull a, a Jack Black reference from Tropic Thunder here. So do you remember way, way back when, when I mentioned that there was almost nothing to pick apart or criticize about the uh, rule mm. changes? Way back when, when I said that? Yeah, this rule is pure garbage. It is <laughs> the hottest of hot garbage. And your analogy of aligning it to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is perfect. It's actually, I thought of the same thing when I heard about it. With the All-Star Game, you have the, the National League, etc. Whichever league wins, the their, that team representing them in the World Series gets home field advantage, which it has nothing to do with the teams that actually made it Correct. to the World Series. So it's just comical. Well, now, IMSA has decided that to give pit lane preference and some other things. Garage preference uh, as well. Garage yeah. preference. They, and they have come up with a, quote, qualifying session at the end of the roar, the very final session. It's actually dedicated specifically to just doing this. Uh, in order to, two things, keep teams there, which that's often been not a problem, but it's a three-day test. And often by lunch of the third day, the Sunday, teams start packing up, say, okay, we've got it, we're heading home. Uh, this is one method to keep teams on site, provided they care about garage or pit lane uh, choices. And then the final one, which, 
you know, again, not as if this can't be manipulated as well, but the, the second and final reasoning is pure balance of performance yeah. data. So we know that next week's test at Daytona is very much on the straight manufacturer side of IMSA gathering data to build the the ROAR BOP, which then should be close to what we'll see for the race. Well, they've set up this qualifying quote session that in theory would produce raw everyone going hammer and tongs, generating the fastest possible lap to win or come close to that qualifying session and then get preferential positioning as we've discussed. Well, again, if a team cares, they'll stay around for that. And if they do participate, there's nothing obligating a team to going 100% there. Maybe 99.5% is good enough to get you the third best pit <laughs> spot, right? So, again, I get, I understand the reasoning for it, but trying to attach meaning uh, and to get folks to stay to the very end. I mean, here's, here's one other quick thing to throw at you. Budget. Does that stay right? for the whole season, or is that just for Daytona, and then it's, it's to, it goes back to championship points after that? Wouldn't it be awesome if it was for the whole season? Now, that would be something. That would be something. <laughs> Everything I know is it's just for Daytona. But let me just throw one other quick, quick thing about this. So we start the uh, understandably low-budget Hindoff and Pruitt Motorsports team because <laughs> Megan's Motorsports already taken. And we, again, we're ha- we, hey, we're finally going to make it or we're going back, but, you know, budget isn't massive. Well, he, for example, every year at the Roar, I leave at about 1 p.m., two o'clock at the latest in order to drive to Orlando and catch the last flight home to the West coast. Why? Well, uh, a, I've already been there a couple days and I'm tired of it, but more importantly, it saves me an extra day of rental car fees, an extra overnight hotel fee. If we're talking crew members, it's that plus per diem, et cetera. Just saying that if you're having teams stay that late, uh, they're going to be packing up and won't be getting out of the track till seven or eight, whatever it is. So this is also incurring costs for the teams that are going to end up having to stay. Uh, if, you know, in the past, at least they've said, all right, we're good. We're going to check out after the morning session on Sunday and save ourselves a few dollars. Uh, yes, uh, there there is going to be some racing, of course, at the Raw with the IMSA prototype challenge presented by Mazda. One hour, 45 minute race with two drivers. So the Raw, a little bit more interest there. Yet to hear what the uh, what uh, what part of that might be broadcast and how much of it is open to the public. But tickets are on sale for the whole season now. I saw that tweet uh, via the IMSA website. So start checking your schedule. Now, the sporting and technical regulations came out just before Thanksgiving as well. We've mentioned the P cars going into the front of the field ahead of the GT cars. Uh, Now, the uh, other thing this year, uh, which is... uh, I I, I do like in some ways the way that that IMSA in in its new form is is quite like IMSA in its own form. It it listens to what people are saying. It it takes a look at what's happened in the past. viz that change in restart procedure uh, now one car change in season only uh, obviously force majeure if you break a chassis and you've got to bring another car back or whatever i'm sure they would look at that but but that's to stop uh what happened with the cooper mcneil 
team this year. They started with one manufacturer, went to another in the middle of the season and, di- and discussed going back to the original one at the end of the end of the year. So basically this is to stop well-heeled teams, particularly I would think where you've got manufacturers in any of the categories where the characteristics of the cars are particularly suited to one or other circuit throughout the year, just basically swapping and changing through a stable of cars. Yeah... This is another overreach, in my opinion. Uh, how's this? This is how the rule's written. And let's go, we're just going to go ahead and call this a WeatherTech Racing rule mm-hmm. because that, although it doesn't say that in the rules, we know why this was developed. Uh, the rule as it's written, 3.8.5, says team change. And I've, I've trimmed some of it here. Any change to the team, including without limitation, car number, team main, team name or registered car manufacturer is subject to IMSA's prior written approval. Uh-huh. So I I wouldn't necessarily say that we there's a strict you can do it once. I would say that as they have written their new rule, uh, there's no guarantee. Uh, but yeah. and then this is also interesting because it does it's a little bit of a tell without, you know, calling out uh, weather tech racing. Uh, they said the process may take up to two weeks for IMSA to review a team change request. And uh, if you look at the determining factors, IMSA will decide, quote, if doing so is in the interest of competition and sports car racing. Um, if a team wants to participate in a racing series and has the means and ability to buy and use multiple cars and wants to race them. This strikes me in the same exact way of the Formula One rule when it came out about limiting drivers to one helmet livery change per year. Yeah. It's because fans could get confused and you go, there are two Ferraris in the field. You can pretty much take a 50-50 shot. It's either going to be Kimi or Vettel. And if there's one red car that comes to you first before the other one, it probably tells you that's Vettel. So there's a little bit of common sense here. Why would anyone overstep this to say you can only change a helmet livery once? To me, look, if a team can afford multiple chassis, uh, wants to do this, what's the one thing we're always talking about? Boy, money. We wish there was more, more being spent. If a team can bless a manufacturer or multiple manufacturers by purchasing cars and people are put to work to maintain them, etc. multiple vendors. Cause look, if you need to get in uh, this piece for your Mercedes, you're certainly going to talk mm. to someone different than might, who might be making it for an Acura. Um, I just think this is a massive overreach. Plus we're not talking about this happening. How many times did this happen? I mean, we had this happen with weather tech racing. We had this happen with Visit Florida, for yeah. example. That was on. That was almost a uh, a mercy rule being enacted <laughs> because, uh, you know, their their <laughs> Riley Multimatic chassis it was getting to the point to where they could be shutting their business down because they were so uncompetitive uh, due to the chassis itself. Uh, I get IMSA saying, hey, we want to be involved. Don't just yeah. randomly show up with whatever. But I think that's a conversation. Uh, more than anything, if they see the entry list, and then I'll just close quickly on this. IMSA sees the entry lists long before we do. Yeah. They know what team is saying what 
they plan to do with what cars and what drivers. Uh, I think there could have been a very simple direction taken of, um, you know, it's at IMSA's discretion to approve uh, a team using, you know, multiple chassis per season and leave it at that. And that's a phone call. It's not some hard written rule. It's, hey, team so-and-so, tell me what's going on. And provided this isn't some crazy thing that's come out of your head or that might embarrass the series somehow, um, maybe we don't need to get involved in telling telling you who can show up with what. Let's uh, let's put that on one side and start going through uh, some of the news of which there has been legion uh, in the week leading up to and since the Thanksgiving Day break last week. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com is on the line. Delighted to have him with us uh, tonight. At Midweek Motorsport Series 12, episode 45 on RS1. Uh, and by the way, coming up after uh, this show tonight, another chance to hear the ELMS and uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup review with Johnny Palmer and Graham Goodwin. And a quick reminder that our Formula One review is on Friday evening here on RS1 at 8 o'clock UK time. Nick Damon will be joining me here at Hindhoff Towers for that one. And uh, Tim Gray uh, up in London, I'm sure, will be uh, adding something to that as well, if nothing else, reminding us of our predictions at the start of the year. Uh, Jordan Taylor has been racking up the air miles. He went to Newcastle, not Newcastle upon Tyne, which is my old stomping ground, but Newcastle, New South Wales at the weekend, ostensibly to see if he could get a supercar drive for the endurance race, but seems like he's been talking to a few people about a GT3 drive at Bathurst for the 12 hours as well. Smart kid, that... Taylor. Plus, I think he's also having to uh, defend the family honor since the last time a Taylor tried to race a V8 supercar. He ended up on his lid at uh, Surfer's Paradise. I only mention that because I was there and saw it happen when uh, Ricky and the uh, the Gary Rogers car uh, went inverted uh, at the start. But kidding aside, I think it'd be great. Um, I mean, how's this? Knowing how close uh, the, the Team Penske Dick Johnson racing team came to winning the championship last weekend with Scott McLaughlin. Uh, and knowing that Ricky Taylor is now under Rogers employee. Mm. Uh, I, I'm just mentioning that good point. If I, if I were good old RP, I'd be wondering how I might use uh, his young sports car star for more stuff down under, if there's a possibility. And uh, Hey, if an extra chassis magically appears, would a Taylor brothers, uh, entry be possible? I mean, I, th- I would love to hear that too. But most of all, uh, the fact that Jordan is so keen on the sport and wanting and looking to travel on his own to try and make some of this happen, I think it says a lot about him. Yeah, uh, it, would, it would make a lot of sense as well if he is going to get a drive in the Enduros for Virgin Australia Supercars then if he could get some time around the mountain at Bathurst at Mount Panorama in February, week after Daytona, uh, in a GT3 car, all right, it's not the same, but track time is track time. And uh, it's a good opportunity to get some get some time in. While we're talking GT3, as we were there, GT Daytona, following on from our stories in the last couple of weeks with you, Marshall, I noticed that on racer.com you've just posted that uh, Michael Shank, who we've been talking about for quite a while, about um, how many cars 
if they're going to have two cars? Is it only going to be one? Have they managed to fill the second car? Not only has he managed to fill the second car now, there might be another one coming. Yeah. So I've heard rumor for a little bit that the uh, employee-led Hart team, Honda Yay. American Racing team, one that we have seen in the Pro World Challenge paddock, we've seen at the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill, we've seen in the Continental Tire Series paddock, uh, in a tin top, we might call it, you know, the lower touring car-esque vehicles. I have heard, uh, been hearing a rumor uh, for a while that they might be rocking up at the Rolex 24 Daytona with one of the Acura NSX GT3s we oh, wow. saw campaigned uh, this past season in the Prelude World Challenge Series with real-time racing. So I haven't heard if anything other than the Rolex 24 would be on the cards for them. I can't. I wouldn't pretend to know who would drive that, although... You know, I guess if we were to look back at some of the drivers who've been in heart entries in recent years, there might be some some direction there. But I think we will see – we know that we're going to see one full-time Michael Shank Acura again next season, Pro-Am. Uh, we know that he's working on getting drivers for the second car of his to stay on track. Don't know if that's going to be full-time or NAEC after speaking with Lee Neffenegger, who heads the Acura NSX GT3 program for Honda uh, performance development. And uh, But we, again, I think we will see Hart, a Hart NSX at Daytona. Uh, and Lee also said there's a fourth car that could really? be possible for IMSA. I Again, we could probably run through the list of entrants and try and figure out who it is. I haven't done that because I'm dumb or lazy or both. Um, yeah, so I like the sound of that. And the one thing Lee said, makes sense too, is if you look at the dual campaigns they had, two cars in World Challenge, two cars in IMSA GTD, uh, they only won in GTD. Um Without speaking ill of World Challenge, I know that uh, we can at least say from the team's perspective, there was a feeling that IMSA was more readily willing and faster acting in BOP changes with its entry in GT Daytona than maybe the, its cars were in PWC GT. Uh, two wins in IMSA for that car, and as Niffenegger said, uh, success tends to be the thing that has driven interest in these additional entries, and that coming in IMSA, where folks saw those victories happen, saw the cars were competitive, etc. So uh, he did also mention, which I didn't include in my story, that there is one Pro-Am team in PWC GT that is talking and you know interested, not sure to what level, but interested in getting a hold of an Acura. So appears to be some positive movement there and whether you are or aren't a fan of Acura, I just like hearing that a newish model is capturing interest and we could see more of them in the series. I mean, what the worst thing would be, hey, you guys want a couple races and no one's picking up the phone. Yeah. So, the other thing that I've heard, not Acura related, and I need to dig into this a little bit, is on the GT3 cars and Evolution packages for next year, I have heard that the Lexus RCF has received a big old stonking Evolution uh, granting. And, yeah, so I need to dig into that a little bit. Haven't written about it, but just heard that that is the case. If it is true, wouldn't that be interesting, Heindy? Mm. Because at least looking at most of the car's performance last season in GTD with the 3GT team, pace wasn't the thing that we 
were often citing as its shortcoming. It was more race execution, uh, driver execution. There were a lot of things that took solid finishes and podiums out of their hands. Uh, just lacking outright pace, to me at least, was not something that stood out as the major theme. So saying that, hearing that there could have been a, a significant Evo package approved, had me scratching my head a little bit because I didn't think that was the car's biggest problem. No. Um, we were talking about it, uh, uh, weren't we, during the year? That car had pace, definitely. Um talked about a, a few teams uh, earlier on. Um, one of them was v- Visit Florida Racing. Now, there's, there's going to be some change round in that. Um, anything coming out? Uh, I've heard a few rumours. I'm sure you have as well. Nothing, uh, nothing yet confirmed, but as drivers get other seats, it narrows down, narrows down the talent pool. What are you hearing about Visit Florida Racing? Yep, heard... Uh... I think heard some of the same rumors you have. I know that I wrote last month. I uh, might have been the first person to write about this, and I've been steadfast in this being a fact. Again, we are waiting for Visit Florida to confirm it with their own press release, but they will be a Cadillac team next year, so they're returning mm-hmm. to uh, the GM Racing family. Uh, so there will be a fourth Cadillac in play. They took had a one-year hiatus. Keep in mind they were part of the GM racing family through the 2016 season with their Corvette DP. Uh, so they're moving back to the Cadillac that that's done. Um, on the driver front, the, the rumors I've heard most and the one I would be willing to put money on is French IndyCar and sports car standout Tristan Vautier, uh, will be the lead driver of oh, the wow. number 90 the number 90 visit Florida Cadillac DPI VR not saying that's a fact but saying that I've heard that enough times and from folks that I consider to be smarter than you and I um, that Tristan would certainly be in pole position to be the team's newly driver Renger van de Zanda with a delightful name to pronounce has moved on to Wayne Taylor racing to replace Ricky Taylor who went over to team Penske Acura Uh, Mark Goosens who is Renger's teammate Although, again, there's been no official statement, et cetera, et cetera. We've known that uh, the team was intending to start fresh next season. Florida fresh, bad pun. Very Sorry. good, very good. Um, so, again, I would, for what I've penciled in on my list, we have Tristan Vautier as the new lead driver, hot shoe, proven badass. I'm not, uh, who will be his full-time teammate? Uh, not sure. Of the the names I've heard mentioned for possible NAEC positions, one of them has been Richard Antonucci. That would surprise me. Again, I'm just mentioning what I've heard, so that doesn't mean it's accurate. When I heard that, it surprised me a little bit because knowing his ties to Lamborghini, um, Mm. I again, we'll find out as soon as they announce it, but uh, I've heard... His name mentioned. I've also heard, and this is for me a little bit out of left field. Maybe you, maybe it falls on you differently. I've heard Eddie Cheever Jr. mentioned. I'd, as... I'd heard that name thrown around, and okay. I, 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 I'll be honest. I, I thought the same as you. I think interesting. Um, maybe that comes with uh, some inducement in terms of partners. I don't know, but I, I thought that was an interesting one. 
that's a French word, isn't it? En doucement. En doucement. Uh, yes, yes, that is. It's always hard to find. Look that one up in the dictionary. Uh, but and I don't. I'm not saying this in a disparaging, a disparaging way, against young Eddie Cheever Jr. But I know Catherine Legg is looking for a drive. I know Oriole Servia wants nothing more than to drive a prototype. Uh, you and I could probably name five or ten others. Uh, immediately where you go, ooh, that person, if we're hiring, if we're just straight hiring, and the person isn't bringing the induce malts, um, there are many other names that would jump out to me first, not because Eddie Cheever Jr. isn't skilled uh, or capable, but just because he isn't someone that we I think of at least as, oh, it's a sports car guy. This guy has plenty of experience. He'll fit right in. It would be, that be an interesting new frontier for him to blaze, provided... But- the other thing is, Marshall, that's such a competitive category that there isn't time for someone to learn. And the guy hasn't sat in the car yet. The team potentially haven't had the car yet. There's a lot going on there for that team, for them to hit the ground running at, at a very tough first two, three races of the year in the Rolex 24 Daytona, the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Fresh from Florida, they're very much home race and and then on the streets of Long Beach. I mean that that's not an easy start to a season to just oh you know let's just blend let's just blend someone into the team gently and have plenty of testing. No time to test straight in at the deep end. Oz Negri comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, as someone who we know is looking for work, I got a text today while recording a podcast segment with my racer colleague uh, Robin Miller from James Jakes. Asking mm-hmm. if and what IMSA teams, prototype teams, I knew of that might still have some openings. So, you know, I'm not saying uh, James would be better than Eddie or Richard or Tristan. You know, can we? None of those drivers could be nominated. But again, just from the pool of folks we've heard that might be in the number 90, visit Florida Racing, Cadillac DPI VR. There's some, to me at least, like Tristan, where you go, yeah. Uh, that's a no-brainer. That guy's a rocket. Um, it would then also potentially open a door to... So Tristan just spent 2017 as teammate to Kenny Habul in the number 75 uh, Mercedes-AMG GT3 car, the Sun Energy 1 entry. Uh, Kenny has said he's coming back next season, so provided everything there is going according to plan, mm. would that then open a seat uh, alongside Kenny as a full-time driver if Tristan is indeed moving over? So, you know, I mean, look, we know most of the pieces of the puzzle by this point going into the 2018 IMSA season, but there are still plenty to fill. So that's the fun part. Uh, we'll stay on the Florida theme with Performance Tech based in Florida, Performance Tech Motorsport, uh, who have joined Bar One Racing, Core Autosport, JDC Miller Motorsports and PR1 Matheson Motorsport as the fifth uh, what was prototype challenge entrant to move up to the prototype categories. They've decided to go for the global global LMP2 chassis and it's another Orica, uh, another Orica uh, with uh, the number 38 on the side it will be, won't it, for, for performance tech. That's interesting. Um, they've clearly made this decision from a, a sensible uh, background. Brent O'Neill is not a man to to jump into something without doing his, his research. So clearly feels that uh, the Oric is the right way to go. To borrow from the old Chappelle show, fifth, the fifth team <laughs> from PC class to move up. That's great to hear. 
yeah, when I spoke with... Can I just say on that, actually, sorry, can I just say on that, by the way, and one in the eye for everyone who said, if you kill PC off, you will lose all those entrants because it's way too expensive to convert them to a prototype runner. Uh, I wouldn't... uh, Halfway to the eye. How's that? All right, okay. Uh, we know, and I just say that because we know that John Bennett, who has been mm-hmm. fortunate to be a very successful businessman, has said, granted, he's they took a diversion from PC to GTD this season, so it's a one-year delayed move to prototype, but John's is very successful and is able to self-fund whatever he wants to do. I will say that if we look at JDC's, move to buying a second Areca 07 yeah. WEC 2 car. Uh, they have they have said they intend to run both, and they're going to enter both at, uh, let me rephrase that, they intend to run both full-time, and he will be entering both under the full-time you know, entry plan with IMSA, but uh, I, I'd be fair in saying there's still a little bit of of nervousness about okay. if and how the funding might come together for that second car. We haven't heard much from PR1 and what they're planning to do, and they had a horrible year, not necessarily all their own making. Uh, the performance tech announcement today, which was awesome, made no statements about how many races they would run. Ah. So, um, and you know, it, lo- it looks like we're going to lose Pat O'Ward as well because he's gone back to Master Road to Indy, although I, I did notice that Kalmason's father's business uh, yes. was mentioned in the release. So perhaps Kalmason is back, although drivers weren't announced there. But I mean, it's it's a positive step for Brent O'Neill and the rest of the team. 100%, 100%. So I, I would just say that the ability to buy a WEC P2 car and run it in IMSA, that is certainly attainable by every PC team with the help of whether it's a Masson, you know, Mr. Masson or other folks. Getting a car, not a problem. The budget to run the full season, that might be the point that's a little hairier than uh, anyone would like to admit. Mm. All that stuff aside, what's fun to me, also a little disappointing on the performance tech announcement is when I spoke to Brent O'Neill, I don't know, three weeks ago, a month ago, said, hey, we expect to be signing off on our, our deal. Delara is the direction we're expecting to go. Wrote a piece about that. And what made me happy about that is we would have then have the first Delara WEC P2 and IMSA, which would give us one example of each, because bar mm. one will be there in with a Riley Multimatic. Uh, there's the Ligiers, obviously, and we have multiple Arecas. Um, so my only, only part I'm a little bit sat on is I was hoping to, again, just from a completion standpoint, have one of each. Regardless, you can't really argue with that call, knowing that the Areca was you know, by far the most consistent of the uh, of the global cars last year. Didn't win. Uh, obviously, Ligier was the only one to break through and do that with the Visit Florida team at Monterey, but you can't fault them. Here's the last quick thing, maybe just that we'll get a further feeling for it, the roar. Maybe this magical qualifying session <laughs> that I love so much will tell us, Heidi. Uh, like the GT3 Evos that we just discussed, there's also been WEC P2 Evos. And on the list of things granted for re-homologation, the Riley Multimatic, their their approval sheet basically said, do whatever you want. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was truly just go and get your house in order. So hopefully we'll see that happen for Brian Alder and his Bar 1 team. The Ligier 
which was, again, very quick, not as consistent on the bumpier tracks. Street Course is definitely not its best friend, but that uh, model, the JSP217, was given a fair amount of latitude on its uh, Joker, as it's called, the, uh, the the redevelopment bits. The Cadillac, which, I'm sorry, the uh, Delara, which we won't have next season, no real reason to talk about that. And that leaves the Areca, which, again, I think because it demonstrated so much pace also in Europe, in uh, the, the WEC P2 class, ELMS as well, they weren't given much. So what will we find when we get to and through the roar, you know, we'll have to see if the Eureka is still the hot chassis or if all of the, the Joker allowances have, and the lack of Joker allowances for the Eureka, have shuffled the deck of uh, which constructor is on top. Uh, yes, we've got a bit of, uh, a bit of news from uh, Indy to come, but want to talk about the big reveal today. No real surprises in that the revised RTP24 Mazda, the uh, Mazda Yost racing car, uh, was in Soul Crystal Red. We've seen that colour uh, before last season. That's the new iteration of the of the Soul Red, and 70% of all Mazdas are sold in that colour in the in the but in the automotive world. The new car was unveiled at the Auto Show today, and we got our first hint of the drivers or in fact we got our confirmation of the drivers uh, it's all good news and uh, a couple of interesting additions in the 55 car it's going to be Jonathan Bomarito how is he the oldest man in the in the car I can't believe that Spencer Piggott and Harry Tinknell uh, in that car in the 55 the 70 may well become the 77 I'm hearing I don't know if you've heard yep. that uh, yep, as well I wrote that Excellent. Uh, and the other three drivers in that, which will include uh, uh, Ollie Jarvis. Sorry, Ollie Jarvis uh, is drafted in with Tristan Nunes. And uh, who's the third driver in the other car? Rene Rast. Rene Rast, of course. Yep. Yes, how can I forget that? I spoke to him just after he'd won that. So uh, an interesting set of, uh, a set of drivers, a couple of... Uh, uh, British imports there with Ollie J and Tinks. Uh, I think that's their good hires and keeping hold of the core of some of their road to 24 drivers. So, I mean, it's just ticked all the boxes, hasn't it? This is the, can we even call it a sleeper lineup? No, uh, this is the, this is to the casual fan. If such a thing even exists in sports car racing, very easy to get glossy-eyed over Juan Pablo Montoya, Elio Castro Neves, some of the, the big hitters name-wise that are coming in with some of the other teams. Action Express has brought in Felipe Nazar and Albuquerque and etc. Be easy to look you know, look past and go, Harry Tinknell, huh? Who? We know who he is. We know that kid's a beast. Uh, Ollie Jarvis, probably, well, definitely one of the top three most sought after uh, drivers in the IMSA paddock, uh, prototype paddock during this offseason. I spoke with many team owners uh, who wanted to hire him or were asking, hey, what have you heard? Uh, I can't get a call back, but I think it's because he's signed somewhere else. Um, big, big smart move there. And Rast as well, who's been quietly just, you know, uh, an absolute animal uh, in his guest drives in prototypes. So I look at this lineup. I think it is a perfect, perfect move. And if you want to go one or two steps deeper, 
You also look at, well, then who did this incoming trio replace and why? Well, uh, Tom Long, uh, I, I think he knew that staying on was going to be on the prototype side was probably not going to be something that happened. And it wasn't because he's greatly lacking in any play, in any key area, but the reality is the the competition, the driver caliber team quality has become so intense, as you well know, that a guy who is missing half a tenth per lap, uh, a, you know, even a full tenth over a two three hour stint is now that that was a margin of error we could accept in 2017 not in 2018 hmm. and for someone like Tom who rose up think about this trajectory uh, came up from racing spec miatas to the uh, what we now call the global mx5 cup uh, moved up and up and up through tin tops to the point of racing for the team in prototypes excellent job excellent driver and the ultimate team player so while tom long uh, it was not going to be the person to put up against a Simon Pagano in a heated battle in the last hour at Daytona. Uh, I think we're going to see him emerge in some other M- Mazda activities. Um, I will say that with Joel Miller, who whose speed was never in question, uh, I think this could be a really good learning opportunity for Joel. Uh, we've seen some things on social media and spoken about them uh, on Midweek Motorsport in the past month or two that led us to raise an eyebrow or both mm. and wonder if someone maybe conformed to that same team-first mindset that made Tom Long just invaluable mm. uh, from just from a character standpoint. Uh, Joel could, I've heard, haven't spoken with him, but I've heard he might, there might be another role for him as well at Mazda, but I'll throw this at you, and I know uh, you want to, talk about um you know the the audi links here too mm. but let me ask this because uh, i i know what i think but it doesn't necessarily mean i'm on point so a lot of drivers that we see in big time sports car racing have open wheel backgrounds it's not an unfamiliar tra- transition anymore especially at a young age too um joel who came in to the mazda program came in after having success in the pro mazda uh, open wheel category had some indy lights races did okay there never really stood out as a guy who was going to race an indy car on on pure talent but definitely showed that you know he belonged in the general conversation i think his failing was he acted and conducted himself in a sports car environment with that uh, open wheel yeah. singular mindedness compared to I'm buying into being one of many and no import no more important than any is that something you have seen mm. not it doesn't have to be necessarily Joel but have you seen that as a failing for other drivers yes. too because that's my suspicion here yeah I, I, and I, I, I'm not I, I I wouldn't like to comment on Joel's situation. He's he's made his feelings very clear on on social media. But I think that's a very astute comment, um, and it, it has made life difficult for some open wheel drivers. We talk about it all the time, the transition across. And you know, if you look at Harry Tinknell, for example, on the other side of this argument, a man who came up through European Formula Three, uh, Alan McNish as his mentor and manager, clearly with a huge Audi links there and uh, I'm hearing that uh, 
Tinks's announcements aren't necessarily all over and done with yet. There might be uh, a little bit more to come. How he's going to squeeze in any more driving because he was, by the way, has also been confirmed uh, uh, for the transition season for Chip Ganassi UK's WEC GTE drive. Are we talking about uh, stadium super trucks as well for Harry? Yeah, I've. I've uh, I feel it might breaking exclusive scoop. It might be something electric. I've heard. Um, Ollie Jarvis, of course, we know all about Ollie, uh, and you know he his timing getting up to the very highest echelons of of sports car racing with with Audi was uh, was terribly badly timed. Good to see that he's back in a front line drive. He's been doing great work in P2. Almost won the championship in Bahrain a couple of weeks ago. Um, all disappeared in the last 20 minutes of the season. Amazingly enough. It's interesting, isn't it? How just a, even if it's a perceived uh, failing or not even a, it doesn't even have to be that harsh, Marshall. I think, you know, things are so tight at that very high level that anybody who has got a chink in their armour or a perceived chink in their armour is, is going to struggle. I, I wish you all the best. He's a smashing lad. He's certainly quick, as you mentioned. Um, but I, I think that's a strong team with Ralph Jutner and Reinhold Joost pairing up with John Doonan or teaming up with John Doonan. I mean, the enthusiasm level there is going to be turned up to 11. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be... Very interesting to see what BOP that car gets when it goes through its new homologation on the 5th and 6th. Very interesting indeed. I, I suspect we'll be talking about them a lot this year. And and you're right, I think, Marshall, to, to point out the uh, they could easily be overlooked um, in the media stampede towards uh, some of the cars in that grid, notably the, the Acuras. I want to finish tonight, um, MP, with just a, a couple of minutes on... Um, a bit of uh, a bit of job news, a bit of job changing news. Brian Barnhart, uh, race director or chief steward for the past 20 years at IndyCar, is uh, leaving working for the series and moving back to a race team. Yeah, so that was an interesting. Uh, I didn't see that coming. Most didn't, <laughs> uh, even those who worked with them. Um, yeah, so. Poor Brian. Uh, he was vilified for so many years in IndyCar when he was its president, then, you know, in a variety of roles. In the last three, four years, when he's been somewhat restricted to race director and helping with the rules and, and such, in a narrowly defined role, an important one, but narrowly defined instead of all powerful, all encompassing. He's been mega. He has been great. I've felt happy for him because instead of just constantly being shot at every day from media and drivers and fans, although he hasn't necessarily received a lot of external love, it's just been cool to see him in a... You hate to see a dog that's just been kicked for so long it thinks that's all life can ever be. (laughs) And that was Brian's existence. For many, many years, granted, he chose the existence by holding those positions, but nonetheless, great to see him uh, assume a role that really fit his capabilities and character and has just gotten rave reviews all along. His, But I think that's also the narrow scope 
brothers what has led him towards going back to a team-based role that, the, um, the team itself is, is harding motorsport harding race harding owned racing. by mike hard yeah harding racing owned by mike harding an indianapolis based uh paving contractor does a lot of big big work and projects there gabby chavez uh will be his full-time driver so uh they made their debut this year at the Indy 500 and did a couple of oval races after that. Brian's come on board as the team president. And I think, you know, what better way if you're Brian, who must be, I don't know, 50-ish, 55, who may be on the tail end of a career, any career, but in his career, why not choose to go back, be involved on the team side where he came from? He was a mechanic back in the day, Indy 500 winning mechanic with Alan Jr., etc. Good on him. I think to go and do something where you can work with the team again, be the president, help shape it. And it needed some shaping. It's team manager uh, is not someone who I've ever accused of being uh, on the excellent portion of the uh, skill and and talent chart. I think he is going to have a a strong impact there knowing that he's got five, 10 years maybe left in the sport if he wants it, but also like the fact that for him being in that relatively narrow role, with IndyCar the past few years, although everybody loved him and, and thought he was great in it, uh, I think he maybe felt underutilized or you know just didn't have a, a whole lot to do between races. So this, to me, good on him, maybe, to, to close on this. It will be something that allow fans to uh, reshape their opinion of him uh, after a couple of really good years to close close his time at IndyCar, hmm. and uh, if he can get the Harding Racing team continuing on a more prosperous path, which they started on, they looked really sharp in their couple of races uh, this past season. Uh, hopefully he can retire with folks actually saying his name here in America without there being a disparaging comment to follow. Yeah, and, and he's going back to teamwork. It's not as if he was a stranger to it. He was a member of the pit crew or chief mechanic on a number of of teams, Allinger Jr. I seem to remember uh, had him on his team, and wasn't he any Kenny Bernstein's uh, the, the King Racing uh, team as well? I think back in the early 1990s, I seem to have some remembrance of reading that somewhere. Um, I, I, it wouldn't have been something that I would have remembered from them, but I, I think I read it somewhere when we were talking about him before. So we wish him all the best in that new role. Could it be interesting to be on the other side of the fence? <laughs> Absolutely. Game, gamekeeper turned poacher uh, the, other way, the other way around. And we wish him all the best in that. Uh, it's been an absolute blast, Marshall. Thank you very much for being with us tonight. Good to go through that. Quite a lot of news. And I suspect that uh, in the next week or so, with that 5th and 6th, December 5th and 6th test at, uh, at Daytona, we've, we'll have plenty more to talk about from the Yimsa Paddock as well. We also have the performance racing industry show coming up in Indianapolis, Mm -hmm. I think just a few days after that test, where I know there should be one or more uh, IMSA, but also IndyCar-related announcements, which should add further definition to uh, what's coming next year, but also give us some more stuff to chop up and have fun with on Midweek Motorsport. Love it. And don't forget the uh, Who the Hell Are You? series of podcasts that Marshall Pro is putting out. A member of the press, he says, will it be Justin Bell? Will it be Will Buxton? Or will it be me in the next episode? Uh, keep an eye on racer.com <laughs> and marshallpruitt.com. You evil, evil man. I I, uh, I, I, I have to say, it was a cathartic experience for me. That, that's I'm going to leave it at that. MP, thanks very well, much, brother. 
can I throw one quick, quick thing here to close? So I started my little podcast in May of 2016. Uh, our friends at Dinner with Racers started theirs in, what, November-ish of 2015, I believe. Mm. Um, I know that my podcast, Dinner with Racers, gets a lot of love and constant buzz uh, on social media among those who've happened upon it. When did Midweek Motorsport start its weekly podcast, brother? Uh, 12 years ago. This is the 12th season. Uh, and uh, we are on, this is episode 45. We've always done somewhere between 45 and 50 in the 12 years. And uh, in, and add to that the additional programs like the Formula One Review on Friday here on RS1. It's a lot. It's an awful lot. We were just totaling up, actually. We'll have done over 3,000 hours of broadcasting this year here on Radio Show Limited Network, of which probably 85 90% is from a racetrack. Um, and we'll uh, several million downloads uh, already this year. I think halfway through the year this year, just after Le Mans, we'd already beaten last year's um, number, which was a record. Uh, so kudos to Tim Gray, not with us tonight, uh, for well, all the hard I, I work just... going on behind the scenes. I just want to doff my cap because it's always easy to look at the new shiny thing and say, oh, wow, isn't that cool or neat? And you go, so that often comes at the expense of the old institution that has been humming along and oh, kicking butt you. the whole time. So full uh, praise to you, the uh, ever, ever uh, impeccable and uh, full authority of the adult in the room, Miss Eve Hewitt, uh, Mr. Tim Gray and others for uh, leading the podcast way. Uh, that's all there is time for tonight. Marshall Pruitt will pop up on uh, racer.com and marshallpruitt.com as well. There's no time to explain. Stay tuned for the ELMS season review with Johnny and Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com. And don't forget to join Nick, Tim and myself on Friday at 8 o'clock here in the UK on RS1 for the Formula 1 review. Uh, no time to explain, though, as uh, the llama is drooling over something soul red. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.